The last time I interviewed Jennifer Kuiper, she was an anchor at WLS Radio. Now she's an anchor and reporter at WBBM News Radio. All right, so we're out in front and we're social distancing in case anybody's wondering. But um, so Jennifer, what are you doing now? I'm working with WBBM Radio and I'm full time now with them. And uh, I was doing, I was a co-host of the Noon Business Hour with Cisco Cotto, but with the pandemic, we don't have two anchors in a studio anymore. And it's harder to do that kind of a show when you don't have two people in a studio. So I've been doing a lot of reporting and then I uh, periodically come in to anchor whenever they need me. And what's it like to work during the pandemic? Well, it's unprecedented. So it's, you never really know what's going on or what's going to happen. And in my case, my experience as a former network reporter really helped because I always had to come up with my own story assignments since I was based in the Midwest and I was alone. And I used to have morning meetings with New York to talk about what I wanted to cover. So when this happened and I was told I had to work at home, I just went into network mode and I came up with story ideas and I gave them to the newsroom, said this is what I'd like to do. Pretty much we were on the same page, everybody was cool about it, and I've been able to cover quite a bit of different stories. So what are some notable stories that you've done that you can think of? Um, You know, honestly, Margaret, I know this sounds strange. I cover so much stuff that I cannot remember anything anymore. Uh, In some cases, I've covered things so many times that I can't remember. Uh, But I think it's more of the, just generally, the human interest stories and um, things that you might not think about would be like um, if you had, if you were undergoing a divorce before the pandemic and then the pandemic hits, but you didn't have an agreement in place, what happens to the kids? So I took a look at that and talked to a lawyer about that. Um, So human interest, how things affect people. And that's what you want to do with the news story because that's what's going to get people to listen. You've had a very long career. I interviewed you a while ago, but Can you just take us through how you got to this point? Yeah, I'm back where I started, actually. Well, I started at B96, but at the time, B96 and WBBM AM were across the hall from each other at McClurg Court. So I would see the AM people all the time, and I'd walk into the AM newsroom, ask them about stories, and so uh, I got familiar with a lot of the people that were there, and I ended up leaving there to become, let's see, I became the community affairs director, the public affairs director at B96. I think I was 24 or 25 at the time. And then lost the job six months later because a company came in, bought us, and got rid of the department on the AM and the FM side. So when I went to say goodbye to somebody on the second floor there, the BBM news director at the time, Chris Berry, pulled me off to the side and he asked, how do you feel about heights? I said, I really don't know what you're talking about. And he said, well, we uh, we need a traffic reporter and the company that takes care of it for us is going to come over and they're going to interview you tomorrow. So he, you know, everybody knows you're going to be fired before you know you're going to be fired, basically. And I became a traffic reporter for them. And then under another news director, George Ann Herbert, I had the opportunity to become a reporter and an anchor. And I wanted full-time, I also wanted experience at another station, so I went up to Waukegan and became a full-time anchor reporter and spent almost about a year there and came back down to Chicago to B96 because at my wedding, Karen Hand, who's my mentor, who had hired me at B96, asked me if I wanted my old job back, and I said, well, I was... I'm just getting married right now, (laughs) you know, I just got married, and I'm planning to go back for my master's degree but uh, yeah, okay, I need a job, sure, I'll do it again. And she said, okay, great, you're not only my producer again, but you're also my fill-in. So I got to be on a major market station again as a news fill-in, and 
after that, I went to WLSAM and I became an anchor and a reporter and the news director. And Karen Hand points out that I was the the first female news director and the youngest news director at WLS. And I thought, well, I never thought about that. How's that? <laughs> yeah. Huh? How's that? Uh, just because I happened to be there for a while at the right time and the news director left to go to New York, Steve Scott, who's working at WCBS New York, our sister station, uh, at this station that I'm working at now. And um, I enjoyed it. I really liked it. But it, then again, a year and a half or a year later, I was let go because another company came in and blew 20 of us out of the station. So I was walking down the street, got a call from Steve Scott, who said, I think somebody's going to call you up from the network. Uh, so I talked to this person at Fox News Radio who said, we are, unlike others, hiring, not firing. And we would like to know if you'd be interested in being the Midwest Bureau uh, reporter, correspondent, Midwest Bureau correspondent, I should say. And I said, yeah, sure. Okay, I guess so. You know, I think, give me just a second to kind of get my stuff in order. And he said, okay, well, think about it. And the next day he called me up. He said, I need your resume now. <laughs> so they were moving really quickly on this. And I put it in. And as a result of that, I got to travel not only across the country, but they sent me to Europe too. So I got to cover a royal wedding and it was great. And I did some stuff over in Berlin and had a wonderful time. Well, what's a... When, when you were abroad, was it brief or were, how, how long were you abroad for? Oh, I wasn't based abroad. I just happened to take trips. In fact, it, the trips were so short. I, I was there one week uh, in Germany covering some stuff, but it was also uh, uh, another trip involved there. But um, in London, I, if I remember correctly, I left on Wednesday. I got there on Thursday. The wedding was on Friday, and I was back at the airport in London at uh, Saturday morning to come back home. So I was I was really going on adrenaline, but I was in I was based across from across. Let me try that again. <laughs> I can't spit it out. I was based across from Buckingham Palace, and they wanted a Midwest voice on the story because they already had their London bureau reporter there, Alistair Wanklin at the time, who was just a great guy, and he even asked me, "Where do you want to be at Westminster Abbey or do you want to be at Buckingham Palace?" And I said, "This is your territory, man. You should be at Westminster pa Westminster Palace, uh, Westminster Abbey." And uh, by the way, I just to note that I'm doing this after a very long day at work. <laughs> so if I can't speak, that's why. Uh, but uh, Al Alistair was great. And when I did get my assignment over at Buckingham Palace, I was in a huge media area with all of the national media from the states. So I would see the Good Morning America team and, and you name it. And then people would come back, like Tracy Ullman came backstage one time and uh, Dame Edna. And I mean, it was just really neat to see people that you just never would have seen in other circumstances. But you were talking about earlier about um, losing your job. It sounds like it's happened to you a few times, but how do you deal with that? Uh, well, I always said that the first time I was fired, I was a professional finally. Second time I was fired, okay. Third time I'm fired, I'm just going to retire. <laughs> I joke about that, but, um, you know, it's, it's hard being fired, but once you go through it once, you kind of know the, what to do. And the second firing, I... Uh, saw coming because you you know you watch your company you watch how your company's performing stock wise and if it's plummeting it's not good for you guys if you're not hearing commercials on the air not good so you know I say to anybody if you get fired if you're called into the boss's office and there are two people there sometimes you know the second person sometimes you don't you're being fired and before you leave the office ask about where's my severance package 
and then you leave the building. And you'll always leave the building the day of and be escorted out. So used to that. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> but then how do you, um, but once, once you are fired, like how do you get yourself together to look for another job? Well, first of all, in this business, you always have to have your air check and your resume ready. There's just no, no two ways about it. You're always networking, no matter what you do. You have to network. Whether you're on a story and you're waiting for the story to happen, you network with other reporters and, and, uh, and people that are on the story. Um, and then, I, you know, I, with, I've just, I've lucked out. I have to say I was really lucky in both instances of being fired where somebody kind of took my arm and said, hey, let's talk. And that really was very fortunate to have because you don't always have that. And I don't know that if I am fired a third time, if that's going to happen or not. So you just don't know. The business is very strange. It, it got really bad during the, the Great Recession. It has gotten worse during the pandemic. And who knows where it'll go from there. Well, when you were starting out, I mean, how did you develop your, first of all, you sound really good on the air, but how did you develop? <laughs> well, I used to say when I interviewed you the last time, I said you're you're my favorite uh, female news anchor. Oh, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and you're my favorite S AP. Oh yeah, so, thanks. Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> but um, when you first started out, how, what were you like, and how did you develop your skills throughout the years? Um, I owe a lot to Karen Hand because. She, what did she do? She was the news director and the. And at one time, the news director and public affairs director, and then just went down to news director at B96. And she had been there for I oh, over 25 years, I think it was. But she said, just write like you speak. Just speak to people. And, and I find that, you know, so many people forget that. And they use words, someone was slayed. I mean, what are we, knights in shining armor? Who says that in a normal conversation? I mean, come on, you just, you know you die or you're murdered or what I mean you know I mean just speak to people as they speak and then I think they'll relate to you and also as I mentioned earlier keep in mind the kind of stories that you do are these stories that affect people's lives because that's what they want to hear so I try to keep that in mind I also um, as a result of, of doing my network reporting and also my previous reporting. It's funny, I've never done anything differently than I at, at any place I've worked. So how I cover news at BBM when I was here the first time is the same as I covered it when I was with LS, is the same as I covered it with Fox, is the same as I covered it here. It's always one or both sides. Well, it's not one, but it's always both sides or all three sides or how many sides there are. And I think you've even heard me before. There was one instance where I got something assigned to me and I said, I'm not going to do this because this is only one side. I don't have enough time to get the other side. And this is actually not news because it was old. <laughs> so, but, but the thing was that I'm very particular about making sure if I get somebody's side, I want the other person's side or the third person's side. So uh, that has been ingrained. And it's funny because you know, you'll know you have people who will yell at you in this business who say, oh, you're conservative or oh, you're liberal. And it's like, mm, I've always covered news the same way. Nothing's changed at all. What do you think about um, how some media is, I'm not talking about the opinion people, I'm talking about sometimes you know you watch the news or something and you can tell they're not, they're not giving the other side. What do you think about that? Oh, I think, I think that's a disservice. I mean, why are you doing this? If, that, you know, if you're, and the thing too is, it's different if you're a reporter than if you're a personality. And sometimes people just assume that the personality is the reporter because they're delivering something, they're delivering news. But that's not always the case. So. You have to, and people are smart. I mean, they know. I mean, if you're a personality, and 
or if you're a reporter. I mean, I, I just, I give people credit in that. I mean, I, I hope you know the difference. Whoever's on the air as a personality would be different from somebody who's in the field covering something, so. When you're on the air, how do you keep your voice consistent? Because um, a lot of times I, I wonder how people are on the air day after day after day, and they have a kind of um, the style's consistent and the reading and the delivering and so forth. How do you keep that in check? I don't really think about it that much. I had, my uncle was a voiceover artist nationally based on the East Coast, and he was always concerned about his voice. And he wouldn't scream, he wouldn't go to sporting events because he didn't want to strain his voice. And he was very careful about not getting sick uh, because it changed and you, once you have a cold, you're out of job for, you know, as long as you have that cold. But I never really think about it. Uh, I do like my morning voice better <laughs> than my afternoon voice because we all sound sexier then. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, you know, I, I don't really, I don't really think about it. When you're reading, though, a story, um, I always, again, try to keep the person who's listening in mind. Am I telling the person the story just as I would if they were standing in front of me and we were just having a casual conversation? Now, that's not every story. There are some stories that merit merit seriousness, obviously and you have to read it seriously. But if you're having fun with the story, then you know if it's a fun story, have fun with it. What do you do when somebody, if you're not writing your own stuff, which is sometimes the case, what do you do if it's not written correctly? How do you deal with that? It's a pain. I can't stand when somebody writes, and it's not a knock to writers. I just like to write my own stuff because everybody has their own style. And it's hard to take somebody else's writing and try to put it in your own voice and Sometimes I don't feel like I do it justice. And when there are mistakes, it drives me crazy. So it can be one simple word missing, and it's like, oh, that made, it really changed it. And some people are really good about reading ahead. I just, I'm not as, I'm not the best at it, but I try my best. So, so you don't rewrite, if you see some, you don't rewrite all your stuff. Some people do. And oh, I do. Whatever. I rewrite my stuff because I want it in my own. No, I mean the stuff own. that somebody else writes. Oh, no. Um, well, honestly, we don't have time to. So if somebody is writing for me, that's only because I'm on a shift where I'm working ahead on something else. So for example, if I'm anchoring middays, I'm actually in the first hour or two working on my interview questions for noon business hour. I don't have time to write as well. So that's why the writers will give me stuff. Uh, you know, it really is more of a timing issue for me, but otherwise if I'm working a weekend shift or a, a, another shift, I will do my writing. So, and I, those are the times I really enjoy it because I get to use, put stuff in my own voice. How do you prepare for the noon business hour if there are so many people to interview? <laughs> That's a great question. I, um, I keep up with business as much as I can and even when I'm not doing it. And then when I get up, I'm really not scheduled to work until nine o'clock, but I'm here at about 6.30 or seven. And even Cisco teases me if he's here and he's like, oh man, Kuiper, what are you doing? <laughs> I am the ultra prepared person. I come in, I make my sticky notes. Um, I kind of guess what the producer is going to be covering that day. Sometimes I'm spot on, sometimes not. And sometimes it's not clear what the story of the day is and I have to rely on the producer to take it wherever we're gonna go. And I might not find out until 10 minutes before the noon business hour about a certain, you know, they might pull something that I thought, oh, okay, I have some questions ready for this and I get something totally different. Doesn't happen often, fortunately, <laughs> but it's, it can be challenging. And, you know, when it comes down to it, you don't have time to prepare questions in certain instances. So you just swing it. 
and you just ask what you think you'd be interested in, what you think the listener's interested in. What's a way to get to the point when you don't have much time with the guest? You determine what the most important question is. I figure if I have an interview and I have so many minutes, I might have time for five questions. So I probably will get three of those questions in. The other two are just padding. If I have even shorter time than I thought, I might get one or two, so I make sure that the best questions are at the top. And you will know that as soon as you get into the interview itself. You look at the clock and you think, I, there's no way I'm gonna get four questions in here. I can't, if, I'm, if I get three in here, I'll be lucky. So you always just have to put the top two or be ready to adjust the lower questions to the top if they're the more important questions. Sometimes your first two questions might just be the setup and you know a little bit of background. But um, you just have to be flexible, that's the key. Also, how do you do um, news stories or interviews in time? Because you know, the clock is really tight. Right, um, that's it. I, I know exactly when I have to be out. So I know that I have to be at uh, the business report at 23. And I have a one minute spot before, which means I have to be out at 22. Which means if you know I have uh, an interview at 20, I only have two minutes for that interview. So I better make it good. And that's it, it really is, it's called back timing. You just back time and I will sit down and I'll back time my whole five hours in the morning. That's why I'm here so early. Wow, my eyes are wide, you know, can't they see. Are the, right. the listener cannot see. So when you, um, when somebody wants to be a guest on such a, you know, a show such as the Noon Business Hour, or mm -hmm. wants to be a guest in the story, what advice do you have for them? Well, we have some really great guests because we have a fantastic producer in Andy Gersher, and he knows so many people, and he knows how they interview, and um, I think that it really is up to the producer to not, I, when I say coach, I don't mean tell them what to say, but I mean coach them in the sense of, okay, we only have four minutes, so if there's something you want to say, get it up front or something like that. So, I mean, I'm not saying that he does that particularly, but I think he kind of gives them an idea and I think that's the way to do it is he just has so much experience now with some many guests that who we are repeat guests which really helps so we we kind of know once you have them on so many times you kind of know their flow and they know yours and you can go back and forth you know some of them you might not connect with and you just deal with that and you just do the best you can do and just say okay that two minutes is over let's go <laughs> next one we still have four more interviews to do after this but before Andy gets them, what did, I mean, let's say somebody wants to be in a story or on the show, so. I send them directly to Andy. I don't even try to, yeah, I, uh, I, he is really the master of that, master creator of that show. And he really has taken it over in the years, he's many years he's done it, and made it his own and really does a great job. And you've never met anyone, I, I say I'm organized, tenfold. He is just unbelievably organized and has everything. He just, he, he could not make anything possibly easier. He's really good. So when you're, when you're just a reporter, not meaning that it's less, but I'm saying when you're only doing reporting, when you did it at WLS or the other places are here, um, how do you put together a story in less than a minute that tells what you want to say? Well, you go into a story kind of knowing what you're looking for, what you think you might get. So that kind of directs you, but you also have to leave room for the story to play out itself and see where it takes you. And I will go into a story most often and 
you learn this after many years that when you go into a story, you think to yourself, okay, I might be doing this. And then when you get there and it's totally different, you're like, you know what? What I thought is nowhere near good enough for this to be, you know, this this story itself is so much better than what I thought it was going to be. I'm going to let it write itself. And that's what I do say often is that a good story writes itself. So once you get the tape and you talk to somebody or some people, you know exactly how you're going to write it when you sit down. It just and it just takes off. Well, how do you do it so tightly on deadline? <laughs> you just do it. That's it. I think sometimes the uh, the deadline is what gives you the adrenaline and the adrenaline gets you through it. And then once you're done, like, whoa, that was a real rush. <laughs> so I think that that kind of helps. But um, I don't like to rush too much like that up against deadline. That's just too scary. But uh, yeah, I think the adrenaline really helps get you through, especially with breaking news. I mean, you just go on autopilot and you will go four or five hours on a story. And, and then all of a sudden you'll hit a brick wall. And you're like, that's a gnat sound in the yeah, background. That's, that's a bus right. going by. <laughs> that's just a little too loud now. It's a gnat sound. There are times where you will be on a story for four or five hours and just go, 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 go. And you'll hit a brick wall and you'll think, oh my gosh, I've been on this story for hours now and I didn't even realize it, but I'm really tired. <laughs> And it was all adrenaline. And then you realize, I didn't eat. And we joke, you know, if you, if you, as a reporter, always go to the bathroom when you can and always go, to, always eat when you can because you never will, you never know when you'll do it again. So, and it's true, especially with breaking news. That's how it is. How do you get people to talk to you for these stories? Like if there's a fire or whatever? A lot of times people will just talk to you, but I like to go up to somebody and just introduce myself first because that kind of loosens people up a little bit. And I'm like, you know, hi, I'm Jennifer. I just, I work with WBBM. I'd love to ask you a few questions if you don't mind. And sometimes I'll get, well, I don't want to, I don't want, to, I don't want any cameras. I don't want pictures. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm in radio. I don't do that, you know. So, although we do, eventually we do get pictures for web and stuff. But uh, I'm like, no, 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 I just, I just want to ask you about your experience or, you know, your, I want to get your input. You know, I already know what this person's saying, but I want to hear what you have to say. And usually when you say that, people will open up. And there are people who will be mean to you. And I mean, I was at a story up in uh, Madison, Wisconsin once, and they spit on our truck and, you know, I mean, and did other things to the truck. You just take it as it comes and then you just move on. Um, not, not everybody in the world's going to be nice to you. I've been called names that, you know, you should never even say in a bar, <laughs> but eh, whatever. I probably called them something too. <laughs> well, sometimes people criticize uh, reporters because they say, okay, somebody was just shot and now they're going to ask the family what they think. I mean, what do you think about that? Like right after there's something horrible going on? Well, it's, I mean, if it's news, then, you know, you would want to get the source. I mean, you want to talk to them. But if that's, you know, I don't like that. I mean, I personally, I mean, I, you know, dealing with tragedy, I mean, they're also not at their mental best. So that's a tough call. And a lot of times, you know, you, you just have to see if they want to talk to you. And if they don't, then you have to respect that. And that's a delicate situation, especially when there's a child involved. That's actually the only story I really have a problem with. I can cover any story, um, even if it's, it's gruesome, but when it comes to children, I just have a real problem with that. That's, you know, they're defenseless. And I, I just, uh, just like, ugh. You know, I mean, when you have a, a child murdered or, I mean, it's awful. Well, did you ever, in your career, did you ever have, ever have to say, no, I'm not going to do this story because it's not ethical or whatever? 
I've never been given a story uh, that was unethical. I mean, I, I, I did have somebody who once told me, we're not going to cover the Palatine murders because it's not Lake County. And I thought, that's, no, that's ridiculous. I am going to cover this story. And so I did. I, I think I know where that person is today, but I'm not going to say. <laughs> and uh, it's not in Chicago. But uh, that was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I mean, you have a, a mass murder here at a restaurant. I mean, wh- what, I mean, these are people's lives and people's families. And I mean, what are you talking about? I mean, this is the community that's in fear because they don't know what happened. That was ridiculous. I got to say. <laughs> You're listening to the Radio Girl Podcast with Margaret Larkin. Thanks to Jeff Davis, who's at jeffdavis.com. And when I interviewed Jennifer, we were outside social distancing, and she was holding my good quality recorder that I usually use, and I was using my cheap phone, which is why we sound different. Plus, I was speaking through a mask, and it was raining. Well, you know, you work in the city. Have you? Okay, I know you've worked in a lot of places, but you worked in cities, you worked in outside of cities. What's the difference? You said you worked in a suburb at one point. Oh, yeah, up in Waukegan. Um, that was KRS XLC. And um, and that's uh, near Wisconsin, too. Yeah, it's up in Waukegan. Yeah, I was in Waukegan. I think they're now, they just moved over to Gurney. But, I, I mean, I still covered again, covered news the same way. But it was even hyper-local because they really wanted to cover things very much in that community. And, and uh, so it was much more. On the national level, obviously, you're looking for the broader stories. When you're working at more of a station like LS or BBN, you want to cover, um, you want to take national stories and localize them. Um, something comes out of the White House, how does that affect us here in Chicago and the suburbs? So it, it, there are different ways to cover it, but primarily you're still getting the who, what, where, when, how, why. What's the difference between reporting and anchoring? I know they're obviously different different jobs, but... Yeah, uh, I have to credit David Rowe, who used to be with WBBM Radio, who told me, you know what, Kuiper? I, I know you're, you're not overly thrilled with reporting all the time, but being a reporter will make you a stronger anchor. He couldn't have been more correct. I feel much more confident today than I ever felt before I, uh, you know, before, when I did this when I was younger. Why is that? Because I've been on the street. Uh, there are some people who haven't been on the street in a long time. And I've been on the street and I've seen things and I've, uh, I've done things. Uh, I mean, and, and I, I don't mean bad. <laughs> you know, but I've, I've had to figure out how to find my way through a, a, an EF5 tornado zone. You know, if t- EF5 tornado is over, t- wind speed's over 220 miles per hour. There's like nothing left. The trees are like toothpicks. The wind is so strong, it shaves the bark off. I had to figure out how to not only get to a location, talk to somebody, be able to get power to run my equipment because my car, I don't know really where I parked it. I had to figure that out later. And stay safe because there are still storms going on. And figure out how to connect with New York when we the only cell towers that were really around were the ones that were set up for emergency services. So it's a real challenge. When you are a reporter, especially a national reporter, you are not only telling the story, you're writing the story, you're finding the sources, you're your own engineer, and then you're also your own travel agent because you're booking your travel. So you have to figure out how to get ahead of storms or behind storms and not get caught in a storm so you're not in danger. And at one point when I was working for the network, they said, we, if you go into a storm zone, you must rent an SUV because that's the only way we got out of Katrina. So there are things that you don't think about when you do this. And I, I have done this now and I've been at the European Union. I've sat in there, I've, I've been to Brussels. 
So when I read stuff, they're not just words on paper. I've been there, I've experienced it. So that definitely makes a difference. Well, if you're not, before you did get this insight, what was it like just to be an anchor and not have all these experiences? Like what you said, you said it's not just words on a paper. But. Right, exactly. And if you don't do it, it kind of, it, it really is just words on a paper. I mean, unless there's a story that you identify with, if there's somebody in the news that, who you know, or there's some place that you've been, well, when you go out as a reporter and you've covered a presidential campaign, you know that you know, it's gonna turn on a dime at some point, that it, the, the candidate is going to go to five places in Ohio on the same day. And when he gets to the third, or she, whatever, gets to the third place, then you see the message change and you know there's something, there are some things happening behind the scenes. The party is not happy with the way this campaign's going and they just decided they've got to change it up. Those are the things you see when you're out in the street. You don't see that in a studio. Somebody who is on the street is telling you back at the studio. So are you saying that, I mean, would you change the copy on the fly or how would how is that change if you have more insight about it? Yeah, if I if I had a source or that I could call up really quick or I could get somebody in the newsroom and say, hey, listen, you got to call this person for me and get this right away because I, you know, something like that. That doesn't always happen as an anchor because you're on such a tight schedule that it's harder, but you might be able to do it so you have it for another hour down the road. What was it like to work for a national outlet? Do you only work for one, Fox? Yeah, well, yeah, I've, only, I've worked for one full time. I've contributed stories to the ABC network. I've contributed story to CBS and also Westwood One. And, uh, but my relationship uh, with Fox News Radio was great because the guys who were running it were actually former ABC guys. So I had also, I dealt with one of them when he was at ABC. So I kind of knew how they operated. And they were really good because, I mean, it, they made it clear, you know, we are fair and balanced. And I said, okay. And no, no, we are fair and balanced. And I said, okay, I get it. And they're, no, no, we are fair and balanced. So if you get tape of one person, we want tape of the other person or the third person. We don't want just the statement of the second or third person. We want you to, and, and there was a, a situation where it was McCain was running for president and Obama, and uh, I had the McCain tape, and they wanted me to go live. And I said, well, if you want me to go live, I can, but I only have the McCain tape because the Obama event is coming up in the next hour. And they called me back and they said, you know what, we're gonna hold off, we're not gonna go live. We want you to get the Obama tape too, so we'll take you next hour. And that way I had tape from both. So that was, that's what I like to see. And I was never, for, people ask me all the time, were you forced to cover stuff? I've never, not at any shop that I worked at have I been forced to cover anything. And that actually, you asked me this earlier, if somebody did that to me, that would be cause to walk off a job. So why do people have the impression that, that you'd be asked to do certain stories? Well, they just, they have a certain view of Fox, and, and Fox radio was much different when I worked. There was much different than TV. And t TV was very personality-driven and very conservative, as anybody would probably say. But I, I was never asked to take a stand, and, and you don't as a reporter. You go into it looking at all sides. You know, if they're Republican, Democrat, Independent, whatever, you get all sides. And that's what we did in radio. So do you think, what's the difference between doing a local and doing well, in local, you're traveling, but it's locally, which is great. And I tell you, I had, as a national reporter for six and a half years, I had two suitcases in my trunk, and one of them had to be packed every season. 
because you never knew where you were going to end up. And sometimes you had to repack it even more than that because you might end up going down to um, Louisiana in the middle of the winter and it's still warm down there, you know? So you never know. You have to pack for a couple of seasons. But I uh, always had an equipment case, which was regulation to be carry as a carry-on. And I had a large suitcase, which was had a two-person tent in it because if I ever went into a storm zone and I couldn't get a hotel, I at least knew I had some place to stay, <laughs> you know, besides my car. And um, I, that's how I lived for, for that, those number of years, is just on the road. And how long were you at Fox 4 National? Six and a half, yeah. Yeah, six and a half years. And then I just wanted to, and I was always based in Chicago. So that was really a treat because a lot of times, you know, you might end up in Miami or, you know, New York or over in LA. And while all those places are great, I just really like Chicago and I know Chicago. And they actually relied on me to tell them a lot about Chicago, especially because when I was working there, Obama was just about to become president. And he, you know, while I was there, obviously he did. And then uh, Blagojevich and was you know taken into custody while I was there. So they had somebody in Chicago and none of the other networks did that I know of. So they had somebody who was local and who was local for a while who knew the city and the background of the players and knew about Blagojevich's background. And that was beneficial to them. Oh, wait, more gnats out. Do you think that um, people should have national and local or it doesn't matter? doesn't matter. I mean, it would be great if you could, but it's not easy to get national. And actually, I think when I was being hired, they were really looking for news directors. And, you know, not everybody can be a news director or is a news director. Uh, but that doesn't mean you can't get hired nationally by any means. But it just happened to be, I, I kind of got the feeling that might be what they were looking for because they had they wanted somebody who had been in, in the position of having to assign people so they knew what stories to look for. They were looking for news judgment and could be independent. And that's a really big thing when you're a reporter is that you have to handle yourself. The boss doesn't always want to be there and doesn't want to always hear your problems. So, you know, take care of it and just get me the story. As my boss used to say, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> so, my old boss. But who checks your stuff then if you're independent? Ah, at Fox, we had to go through, uh, every story had to fall on a second set of eyes. And so it had to be looked at twice. And I had a separate editor for my live shots and I had a separate editor for my taped stories but uh, yeah that was a rule and I actually I, I didn't like it at the time because I, I was I felt I was a little less productive because it kind of held me up I had to wait until something was approved before I could move on to something and and if I did move on to something then I had to go back and fix stuff it kind of threw off my chi as they say but I do miss that now because I, I realized that that was pretty good quality control and I didn't get much pushback. Everything they seemed to pretty much like. There was only a few times where they're like, yeah, can you tweak this a little bit or maybe shorten this? So they were pretty good to me about it. But I do miss that. Well, you mentioned uh, being a traffic person. What was it like to be up in the helicopter? I wasn't in a helicopter. He asked me about heights, but what he did was he stuck me in the Sears Tower. The Sears Tower at the time, WBBM, had a, uh, I kid you not, a closet, which had a window on it. And people would come up to the closet and look at us and <laughs> at the, on the sky deck. And, you know, you always kind of felt like a, what, a puppy at a shop or something, you know. But uh, what was neat about it was that you at, could figure out markers. So there used to be a Blockbuster store at North Avenue on the Kennedy. So I knew if there was an accident there, I can basically gauge. You, it was easy to identify the junction, you know, Sox Park on, on the Ryan. Uh, out west, you have the Drury Lane. You can figure out, okay, that's Oak Brook. And on a good day, you could obviously see it. And that was before we had the cameras. The cameras were just starting to be installed. 
But one of the scary incidents was uh, I was in on the sky deck and I noticed nobody was coming up to the window and I thought, well, that's unusual. And my mic was swinging a little bit. So I opened up the door and the windows were rattling. I mean, really rattling and nobody was there. So I called down to security and I said, hey, I'm up on the sky deck broadcasting. There's no one here. The windows are rattling. What's going on? They said, well, a storm blew in and we evacuated the sky deck. I said, yeah, but you left me up here. Can I come down in the service elevator? Because we always did. We didn't go up through the regular public elevator. And they said, no, ma'am, we shut those down too. So I called up the newsroom here. I said, well, I'm up here. There's the storm, as you know. They've shut down the sky deck, so there's your news story. I'm probably, I might, I might die, but I'm going to do traffic until that happens. So <laughs> we all started laughing. And the storm blew out, and it was great. And there are no windows busted, but boy, that building does sway. It does. You feel it. Well, how did you do uh, traffic from the sky deck if you couldn't see anything, if there was a cloudy day or something? We had sensors in the road. So if it got over 30% occupancy, you could tell where the delays were. So if you saw 30% occupancy from Austin to Harlem on the Eisenhower, you knew that that's where the delay was. If you saw more than that, then you knew there was probably a crash. If you saw zero, you knew the traffic was stopped. And that could mean that uh, they had all lanes blocked or a helicopter was being called in. So you could kind of gauge and you got, and then also we monitored the scanners for IDOT. Um, so it was, it was challenging, much more challenging I think than it could be now, but you know, and we didn't have Google Maps and Waze and all that good stuff. Well, how do you think, other than that, how do you think um, journalism has changed? Like, uh, what's your assessment of that? Well, I think that uh, it, it, it's the same in that you, you find a story, you hear something, you follow it up, you get good sources, and you put it out. But I think just people have changed in general. And that's not only the reporters and the, you know, the news people, but also the public as well. And, you know, it's not something that anybody can really control. It just is. How have they changed? Uh, definitely more vocal. Uh, and definitely more opinionated, and that has a lot, I think, to do with social media. And I think there's some good to it, and I think there's some bad. And I think we have a climate out here right now that's quite challenging, and that's not only due to what I've seen in social media, but also with the pandemic itself. It's weird for all of us, and it's put everybody in a very strange place. But basically, you just, I, I don't know if it's changed or not. It just might be the opinions have changed, the thoughts have changed. But I think really, like I said, you just, you get a, a lead on a story, you follow it through, you get your sources and you confirm stuff and you get, get it as right as you possibly can and, and put it out there. What kind of advice do you have for people who want to do it? Uh, I would think hard about it. I mean, you, you have to look at the cuts. I can't, I can't lie about that. I mean, I wouldn't lie about it. And, uh, I had a, when I went back to teach the last time, I had a little bit of trouble in the years before that because I thought, I don't know if I could teach people when, I'm, when I know that a lot of jobs have been lost. But I thought, you know, I think I can go back and I can teach them how to write not only for radio, but write for web or TV or whatever they want to do. As long as you can write, that will help you. And it'll even help you in the regular workplace. So I thought, maybe that's, maybe that's something I can do. And I enjoyed it, but I get bored quickly. <laughs> so I taught for two semesters and I was like, I. I taught for two semesters, and I was like, ah, you know what, I'm going to move on. And it, it didn't have anything to do with that, with my original thinking, but um, I hope that I helped some people find some stuff. But I was always honest with them, and I said, this is not going to be easy. And you're going to have to do things that you don't want to do, like work weekends, work overnights, work holidays. 
And still I would see some people would say, yeah, I can't do that. Well, I'm like, then you can't work here. You can't work in radio. I mean, you can't work in broadcasting in general because there's not always a set schedule. For as much as you want that to happen, not always happening. But do you think that people should start their own website and do their own reporting, or what well, do you, you think? Well, you can. You can if you want. I mean, but, you know, you also have to gain followers, and you have to have a name. And I know people want to get on the web and make money, and, I, you know, there are some that do it successfully, no doubt, but they've also had a name. They have a name behind that going into it, which helps them. But if you don't have a name, it, you know, unless you, you just have to make sure that you get the right stories and you get the stories that pop and that's what people want to see. Um, but, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, it certainly couldn't help. I mean, I mean, sorry, it certainly couldn't hurt uh, to do something like that unless you're a bad reporter. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. what do you think a bad reporter is? Well, one that doesn't tell all sides and one who goes into a story and says, I'm going to tell it this way and doesn't listen to what anybody says. And it's like, wait a minute, you didn't tell a story. You told your own story. And the one thing you don't do as a reporter, besides, you know, you have to get your sources correct and your information correct. But the one thing you don't do is put yourself in a story. You're not the story. It's not about you. And it's not, you should never hear and told me, so-and-so told me, no, he told us or told the station or, you know, I mean, that's fine. It's not about you. Now, how do you vet a source or they're reliable? Uh, over time, I have found that over time, actually, I've been vetted. I learned later from a police chief who I knew as a sergeant. He said, you know, and he told my class this, he said, I used to give Jennifer tips and I used to tell her, don't use this at a certain time until a certain time because he said now honestly she could have used it well before that but I was it was my test and I thought if she uses it before this I'm never giving her another thing and I didn't know that until I kid you not like a, at least 10 years later that he had done that I mean I I figured you know but we had a good rapport and, and like I said he ultimately became a chief so that was pretty that's a pretty good source right <laughs> so you like anchoring a lot what do you like about it I love anchoring I just I love everything, but I love running a board. I love editing, I love writing. Um, I love talking to people. Sometimes I talk too fast. But so when you're I, anchoring though, you're only, you're talking to nobody. No, you you're, you're talking to everybody. You just don't see them. They're just not in the room, but I know they're there. <laughs> they're out there somewhere. Uh, because I'll, and then it's interesting also as an anchor to do a shift and then maybe a day or two or a week later, you have somebody comes up to you and says, you know, I heard this story. And you're like, oh, wow, yeah, I remember that story. And then you talk a little bit about it. So it's neat to hear when people are listening. Not as many people are listening to radio as they have been in years past, but there are so many options out there, not surprised. But I just love the idea that you could be telling somebody something that helps them or that they just find interesting. And sometimes I learn stuff too. I'm like, oh wow, that's in my neighborhood. I didn't know that. You know, so uh, so something might cross when I'm reading, and I'm like, that somebody else wrote, and I'm like, wow, I had no idea. But when you're on the air and you can't see the people, what are you imagining then? Um, friends, friends, family, people I know. You know, you just kind of have a mental picture. I always, Felicia Middlebrooks always teased me. She said, you must be Italian. And I asked her, well, I grew up with the Italian side. And she's, you talk with your hands and nobody can see you. <laughs> I said, yes, I do. You're right. So now anybody who might be listening to this, just so you know, when I sit behind the microphone, I always use my hands. So there you go. The thing about the board, now this is getting into really geeky stuff, but how the heck do you run a board and you're on the air and you time out? How do you keep that all together? 
Yeah, well, it's challenging at first, I mean, because you have to really get to know the board. And if, if you ever get in this business, you really have to do training. You have to run the board in, a, in a various scenarios. You have to run it for somebody. Then you have to run it while you're reading with somebody in the room to help you. <laughs> and then you take it from there. Then you're flying solo. Um, but I, like I said, I come in and I back time all five hours if I'm on five hours straight. So my thinking on that is that if I get that done, I never again during the shift have to think about what time I have to be out of a certain spot break if news breaks. Right, because we have a, if if um, if you back time and then something happens that's not expected, then it messes up your back timing. Well, it does, and then you have to wing it. But I at least have an idea of where I need to be to try to get back on track. And because we have access to the logs before I go on the air, that's how I can do the back time. I go, okay, well I know that you know it's only seven o'clock in the morning now, but here's the one o'clock log and I can go through it and figure it out. So it happened to me today. I was in the noon business hour and the worst possible time to get a press conference is in that hour because we are live and doing news interviews. And the governor came on, so we took the governor for about 20 minutes. And you know that really throws things off. But, and then you also have to figure out how to make up some spots if you can and, uh, and then get back on track with the interviews. And I think we only lost one or two interviews, which wasn't bad. Uh, and we got all the spots in, and it worked out great. I mean, it, it came out to be a full show. Uh, mostly full show, I should say. Like I said, two interviews. But hey, two out of six ain't bad, right? Let me know what you think. Email me at margaret at radiogirl.us. You can also call or text me at 716-202-TALK. That's 8255. And like the Radio Girl Facebook page. You can find out about who's coming up next, see pictures, listen to audio, and more.